This is Bob Brooks with Long in the Tooth. We're happy that you're joining us again today. And uh, for our fourth of four segments with CPA John Siebert, we're happy to have John join us and talk about tax planning and cost segregation and things like that today. So, John, welcome. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, we're going to start right in on uh, this topic because uh, it, it affects not only late career practice owners, but also some mid-career practice owners and may be more applicable for one than the other. Why don't you uh, walk us through that, John? So looking from a tax planning perspective and looking for ways to minimize our tax burden in the short term, you know, the probably the most powerful tool or most powerful arrow in the quiver is deferring compensation. And most practices are probably familiar with and hopefully are taking advantage of the, the concept of the 401k plan. Um, you know, if you don't have a safe harbor 401k plan currently set up, I would strongly advise you get with your tax advisor and investigate setting up some mechanism of deferring compensation. And with the 401k plan, if, you're, if your age is 50 or lower in 2021, you can defer $19,500 into the 401k plan. We have the ability, if we're over 50, to catch up and do an additional $6,000, which gets us to $25,500. Um, there is a mandatory match with a safe harbor plan of either 4% maximum if we make the rest of our staff contribute or if we just want to put money in, it's a maximum of three. But if we're a successful practice, and by that we're talking about practices that the owners routinely take home $300,000 a year or greater, don't be afraid of looking at some more sophisticated and more advantageous deferred compensation plans. Whether it is a money purchase plan, a cash value plan. These things can be structured in such a way as to be incredibly advantageous for the doctor while still contributing some additional money to, to staff. And where we tend to get the most pushback with our physicians that we, we have these conversations with is they don't want to give staff an extra twenty dollars or $30,000 a year in define in deferred benefits. And my comeback to that is, guys, you're spending that twenty or $30,000 a year anyway. It's already spent. It's just going to the government in taxes. Who would you rather have see get that money, your employees or Uncle Sam? And usually once we explain that, we at least can have the conversation, does it make sense to do this? These plans are more sophisticated. You're going to have actuaries involved. They're a little bit more expensive to administer. But the ability, you can defer up to $265,000 into these things, depending on what your W-2 is. And if you're currently in a 35% tax bracket, you're, all of a sudden we're looking at a pretty attractive tax savings in the short term as we do this. The other thing we're looking at in a right, and I don't want to go off on a monologue and interrupt me, please, but in an environment of rising tax rates like we expect, the ability to have tax-free income in the future is incredibly attractive. So if we are setting up a 401k plan for the first time, or if we have one, 
and this isn't an option, we want to amend the plan to add it, and that's the ability to contribute to a Roth 401k plan. Just like Roth IRAs, Roth 401k contributions are currently after tax, so you pay tax on the income, but they grow tax-free and the money's tax-free on the back end. So as we're advising clients, we're looking at a hybrid where we want to take advantage of, of deferring some of the money into a pre-tax traditional safe harbor 401k, but we also want to start putting money into the Roth so we can have tax-free income on the back end. So with the Roth, uh, do you think that the advice from investment advisors not to use Roth is more founded on they would like to manage more money? Because you know their argument is, well, if you put more money in, you're going to make more money on more money. And if you put a discounted amount in, then you're going to have less money to earn money. What are your thoughts on that? You know, the funny thing is, and I've seen this done a number of times, a number of different ways by a number of different people, whether I put all of my money in a Roth or I put all my money in the traditional, at the end of the day, after tax, you end up with the same bucket of money. So I either defer the comp, grow it bigger, and then pay taxes on the back end, which brings it down faster, or I pay taxes now, have it grow tax-free and pay no tax on the back end. But here's the thing. We know tax rates are going up. Even if they don't go up in the short term under President Biden, they're going to go up in the midterm because, let's be honest, the federal government's put close to $10 trillion on the national visa in the last year. We at some point have to service this debt. I've seen some studies that suggest that at a minimum, tax rates need to double from their current levels, which means that if we look at it objectively, taxes are on sale right now. So if I'm dealing with a practitioner that maybe is considering not selling their practice today, but maybe has a five to 10 year time frame, I think it's incredibly attractive to put money into a Roth IRA or Roth 401k now, because in all likelihood, tax rates that they're paying now are going to be much higher when they're retired, even though their income rates going to be lower. Got it. So uh, the... Um you had mentioned successful practice before, and I just want to qualify that a little bit because we, we see that, uh, you know, even practices that have modest collections are, we would still consider them to be successful practices. They're doing a right. good job of meeting their patients' needs and they're satisfied with their income level. So we wouldn't define uh, practices as being successful if only if they at a certain if dollar they, amount, if they, yeah, at a certain dollar amount. So I just thought I'd, the I'd only touch reason on that I say I, I throw that out there is that there is there are certain income levels that you have to be able to attain where things like a money purchase plan or a cash value plan become attractive. So if and what we're looking at isn't necessarily taxable income for this discussion or net income, it's the concept of. Income available for owner's comp. So we're, we're looking at everything that the docs take. So if I'm leasing my car through the practice, we add that back. If I own the building and I'm renting from myself, we add that back. So we're not necessarily talking about taxable income when we're talking about at what income level does it start to become attractive to, to look at these more aggressive deferred compensation plans. Got it. Got it. Well, now, John, maybe you could take us into the real estate uh, and also into cost segregation with sure. uh, with both the practice and the real estate. A lot of phys a lot of dentists end up at some point in their life cycle 
purchasing the building that their practice is at. By definition, when I buy real estate, a commercial rental space, 100% of that property gets depreciated on what we call a straight line basis over 39 and a half years. So if I've got a building that I bought for $395,000, I get $10,000 a year for the life of the building, and that's all that I get to depreciate. But the reality is, is that there's a lot of pieces in that building that really aren't real property. They're what we call personal property. You've got the ventilation and the HVAC and the wiring and the Cat5 for the computers and all of this. So the IRS allows us to hire an engineering firm. It can't be me. I'm an accountant. I'm not an engineer, but we can subcontract it out. And they come in and they do a study. It's called a cost segregation analysis, where they actually identify of the price of the building, what is personal and what's real so that we can then claim accelerated depreciation and maximize our write-offs in a shorter term on what we call the personal portion of the building. Yeah, the cabinets and the wiring and all of this good stuff. Yeah, leasehold improvements. Exactly. Anything that is a 15-year asset or under. Got it. So leasehold improvements, definitely, especially with the change in the tax code here, they fixed an error and now we can can include leasehold improvements and write those off immediately. If I'm consider if I've owned my building for 10 years and I've never done this and I'm considering selling in a in a 1 to 3 year time frame mm-hmm. then this may not be attractive. Because as we've discussed previously when I sell tangible assets I have to recapture all of my depreciation as ordinary income. All right. So we need to have a long enough time horizon from when we do the study to when we're going to sell. And I would opine that if it's less than five years, we may not get enough bang for our buck in the short term to do this. But let's say I've got a practitioner that's considering retiring in that five to 10 year time frame. And 10 years ago, he bought his building and did not do a cost segregation study at that time. We can do the study today And we can claim in one lump sum 10 years of bonus depreciation and depreciation on personal property by filing a form called a change in accounting method with our 2020 or 2021 tax return and get an enormous tax benefit in the current year. Now, when we sell the building, we're going to have to recapture all of this and eat it as ordinary income. But a planning consideration when we sell our practice might be Maybe we go ahead and continue to be a landlord for another three or five years. That would allow us to not have to have quite as large an income hit from the sale of the practice. It defers that over time. Mm -hmm. And it may make this an attractive consideration to go back now and have the cost segregation done and claim all this bonus depreciation, especially if this is the year we're selling the practice, right? Right. So I sell the practice in 2021. And I enter into a five-year renewable lease with the buyer with the plan that in 10 years, the buyer's going to buy the building from me. Now, doing the cost segregation and claiming all this depreciation to reduce my income on the sale becomes real attractive, even though I'm going to have to recapture this depreciation eventually when I sell the building. Let me ask you this. So 
you know, as the negotiations go on between a buyer and a seller, and the advisors are talking to the buyer, wouldn't the opportunity to do cost segregation be a huge advantage to the buyer if they do buy the real estate up front? Because they they may eliminate all their tax liability for a year or two. Exactly. If I'm the buyer, we absolutely want to do the cost segregation study in the year we buy the building. Good. Because, yeah, we now get to, A, step up all of our basis to what we paid for it. And B, yeah, we want to make sure that we break out all of this non-real property so we can accelerate the depreciation. Absolutely. Good. This is why it's important when you're negotiating a sale to have your tax advisor involved. Mm-hmm. Don't just wait till the sale is done and then present it as a fait accompli and now expect him to wave his magic wand and get you out of the tax. Right. Well, you know, be proactive with your planning, with your planners. That's what they're there for. When I got into this business, you know, I, I didn't refer out so much business. Uh, but, uh, now that, uh, I've reached my advanced present age uh, and years of experience, <laughs> I always recommend that, uh, all parties, even if we're not representing them, be represented with an attorney and with the CPA. And we like to get all the professional help involved that we possibly can and, and hope that the advisors that the parties select have experience in working with dentists. And that's every much as important for the buyer as it is the seller. Let's be honest, the seller in all likelihood already has someone they've been working with. The buyer may not yet. So if if the buyer isn't careful, this is where we see buyers getting taken advantage of and not negotiating the best deal that they can is they don't have the proper team in place during the negotiation because, oh, I'm not doing my taxes for a year. I don't need a CPA yet. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. Well, John, thanks so much for uh, sharing with us today. And we've... uh, We've enjoyed being with you for four episodes now. And if any of the listeners today, because we may have had some first-time listeners today, uh, if they if they have any questions for you, I mean, we don't do this as an advertisement or anything, but, you know, we're uh, at, at long in the tooth. You know, we're not uh, uh, answering people's calls and all this sort of thing, trying to connect everybody. We're just an educational resource for all, all of our listeners so if somebody has some specific questions and they want to contact you, uh, could you please share your contact information? Absolutely. So best contact probably would be by email, john, J-O-H-N, at Columbus, then a hyphen or a dash, cpa.com. Um, you can always call the office at 614-367-7850. John, thanks so much. And we hope uh, each of you as listener today will be able to join us on our next episode. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Okay, John. Thank you.